you're listening to the sound of my voice. Hello, everybody. My name is D'Angelo Valentine, and this is the Unplugged Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest today, Patricia Shirley, and we're going to break down why the Black Lives Matter movement does not help black people. And some people may feel offended by, for me, just even doing that opening statement, but listen, you have to get the knowledge first to understand because I'm all for the upliftment of black people. I'm all for the progression of black people. But when you have a snake in the grass, you're going to get bit. So, Pat, tell everybody a little bit about yourself before we get into it. Well, I am a social, a recent social work student graduate. So I work in the social sector, um, work with anti-poverty and specifically in the Region Park area. So I deal with a lot of people who look like you and I do. So, and of course, um, always been a bit of a social advocate. So naturally, I think this is, and as somebody who has a black son, this is a particular uh, vested interest for me. What is the Black Lives Matter movement? What was the whole point of starting the movement? And why are they sometimes called the modern Black Panthers? <sighs> I don't know. Like in terms of the, the modern Black, let's start from the beginning. The Black Panthers movement um, is after Trayvon Martin. Okay. After the shooting of Trayvon Martin, um, you know, the Black Lives Matter started from a hashtag and developed into this a movement like an organization um, and it was founded um, from members of the LGBTQ community two girl two women and so after that it kind of took on this whole other entity um, so initially I guess what I think people's understanding of what it was was to advocate for um, uh, the loss of black lives unjustly so I guess ideally you know we have police brutality that immediately begins to jump onto that and it starts building up some traction uh, from there. But as the organization started to take form, their mantra was a little bit different. So they begin to talk about wanting to deconstruct um, the heteronormative um, family nucleus, the, that, that, that structure. So with that being said, when you deconstruct or when you break that part down, you know, the only way that black lives get here is from that nucleus. They don't come any other way. So if you begin to attack the heteronormative agenda, you know, that's basically there. We want to break down that the concept that those heteronormative concepts. So that seems to be more of an LGBTQ initiative and not a black initiative. So right away, you know, they were, people were up in arms about that, especially since so many faith leaders had jumped onto this bandwagon, right? So I think naturally there became some sort of divide. So you found a lot of, um, a lot of black men wouldn't sign on to Black Lives Matter simply because of the fact that they didn't feel like it was a black, although they appeared to be advocating for black male lives, Right, which happened to be the focal point, which were the initial starting point, they weren't actually concerned about that. They were more concerned about launching black feminism, right? And launching um, a platform for LGBTQSI or, you know, 
that that initiative and that agenda. So then that became problematic, I think. Why was the movement considered dangerous? Give us some examples. Well, I think we kind of we isolated one of the um, one of the challenges because what they're really fighting against is the heteronormative unit, and the reality of it is is that to come against um, moms and dads, which is the that's the heteronormative family nucleus. What they want us to do, and not only that, but just as a, a point, that they ended up taking that down from their website because they received a lot of backlash about it. And it became a thing where that was causing us to be divided. So they weren't actually, it wasn't progressive and it wasn't galvanizing us. It was actually dividing us. So that's part of the thing that I find dangerous. Anything that doesn't allow us to be unified uh, our lives should be unified and how how those lives get here and are maintained and how we continue to create generational wealth or legacy has to be rooted in that heteronormative. It has to be. That's the truth. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because a lot of the generations, um, they don't see the destruction of the black family. One of the things I've been doing a lot of research on is how because a lot of people will say like, oh, it's slavery that broke up our family. And I'm like, mm, that's not true. And not, or not entirely true because after slavery was abolished, there was a period between slavery and the Jim Crow period where families, black families were getting together and building their own, their own cities and stuff like that. And then you had Black Wall Street. And then there was the whole thing starting with Tusla, Oklahoma and burning down a lot of these towns it even happened here in canada like places like dundalk and dundas ontario mm -hmm. even on the east coast in uh, nova scotia the same thing was Absolutely. happening right there was a lot of that division that was happening and then into the jim crow era so you had all these different things of you know getting black men in, in prison for all these ridiculous different things mm -hmm. right but still, we still fought and we strive for it. And then even into the civil rights movement, 80% of nuclear families were, they were basically together. There wasn't a single parent household unless the spouse died. Not until after the civil rights movement, then comes the welfare system. And then that's what started the whole thing and started ripping apart. Also, the agenda to incarcerate so after slavery they have to think of another way to reduce our ability to advance right so they come up with these uh, new there's this war on crack there's this and they just begin to throw us in jail left right and center this continues on so after you know when you were talking about the jim crow era that was really all the different limitations they it was a it was an intentional advancement towards incarcerating and um, ridding us of, of males it was our males so this is where you begin to have this era where we have families that don't have any dads and no brothers and and so there's a, there's a bit of a challenge there so absolutely and then there's also another era to add as well um especially in the period from the the mid 90s to the early 2000s um i was doing a lot of research and i noticed so especially with hip-hop music at the time so Things were more of the party scene at the time, like Big Daddy Kane, a lot of that stuff at the time. And then there was this Russian era of, uh, there was this whole Russian era 
of having um, gangster rap, right? So here was here's what's so interesting at the time. Who was the president of the United States at the time? Can you guess? Uh, um, is this, are we talking about Bill Clinton? Or yep, this is a Bill Clinton era. So you mean the one that they call the first black president? <laughs> <laughs> oh who increased who increased um um, um the uh, intensified um mm. sentencing yeah uh, came three, up with three strikes the you're three out strike rule right yeah, absolutely. so now let's look at a time during that time in that mid 90s okay so what was happening at that time was the dot-com boom mm-hmm. so a lot of these dot-com companies were were like you know what we can save on labor if we outsource our products, right? So things were going to Venezuela, things were going to Mexico, things were going to Canada, China, Turkey, all these different countries, right? But the patriotic American only buys products if it's made in America. So what are they going to do in order for them to make products in the US? Make new slavery. Exactly. Outsource that to jails. Exactly the private prison system. That's right. So now you have the private prison system, Bill Clinton's three-strike rule, and then you topple that with gangster rap, which a lot of the rappers, now when I, I see now, like, growing up, a lot of them weren't even involved in any of the gang nonsense that was going on. They were just pushing it, right? And then you see a huge spike of black people, right? a huge spike of black or black males going into these private prisons, right? And they're getting paid pennies on the dollar to do labor to make an American-made product. So the average... License plates. Exactly, license plates. It was no different from what was happening in the Jim Crow era because what was happening is that they were creating railroads. These were all the different things that were happening to them at that time as well. So they just created new ways. You know, they had been doing it already. Yeah. in the the 60s and they were using them as outsource it was just a new form of slavery after they free slaves yeah right what they say is the 13th amendment if you read the whole amendment and it says everyone has the right to Mm -hmm. earn to buy property blah 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 Mm -hmm. um um outside of being incarcerated outside of being and you pretty much are owned by the government once you and not only that, these are, the, these are the things they put in place to eliminate you because once you have three strikes, you're out, or once you become mm-hmm. a, you, uh, you're a felon, yeah. you're a convicted felon, you're absolved of the opportunity to vote. Absolutely. Remy Ma talks about that over and over and over again. You know, and most of them don't. And the things that they call a felon, felony, if I'm in the United States in particular states and I teach my son to drive before he has a license... And I take him for a spin in an empty parking lot, and the police pulls me over. That's a felony, and you could be attributed to something really minuscule, and it's be- yeah. it's being called a felony. Yeah. And of course, if you're black, then that's yeah. a major issue for you. You have lost the opportunity. You, if you, they, they were being picked up. What's the gentleman's name for um, that was incarcerated, Khalil? Oh yes, yes. Um, um, incarcerated for a knapsack. Yeah, but he didn't even steal. He didn't for even three steal years. for three years, and he was Went awaiting torture. Yep. And then when he finally got freed, he committed suicide. Yep. Right. So, and again, we talk about the. I mean, we're on a totally different thing, but. No, we have to. We have to talk about these issues <laughs> because these th- these things break up the family. When we talk, those yep. are the initiatives that were put in place to break up that 
that family unit. Absolutely. So when I see Black Lives Matter and they're talking about breaking up that family unit or that mm-hmm. heteronormative idea, yeah. I think that you're not on our side. You're on another side. Yep. Right? So that's that, yep. that's the, those are the things we talk about. We're, you're not talking about drugs in our that, that are causing our our black boys to drop out of school. We have a prison to school a, a school school to prison pipeline. That's nowhere in your initiative. Yeah. We have a gun violence problem here in the in the 6. That doesn't seem to be That's a on your huge. I don't see you donating yeah. to any organization that is helping these individuals who live in these um, yep. vulnerable demographics. I don't see you doing uh, for Black Lives Matter. I don't mm. I, what what is it that you are doing? What they deliberately are is coming against faith so mm. if you're if you belong to a faith organization, if you belong to, you know, yeah, or specifically Christian, yeah, I have to say that because yeah. those who have been act- vocal activists, I've seen them, members of you know Black Lives Matter, come at them publicly, yeah. you know, wow. it's and it's been it's been explosive. So I think that we need to be concerned about the know the difference between the organization and the movement. Yes, we should be concerned about Black Lives Matter. But I, I, my concern is that the organization is concerned about specific black lives and not black lives as an, ent- as an entirety. You know, we're, we are still having black on black crime here. We are still shooting each other. And those black lives matter too. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that has bothered me a lot um, and especially over the last year, um, and I, there's the story of this one 15-year-old boy who was in the Jane and Finch, Jane and Driftwood area in March of last year, who was getting into a car. He gets shot in his chest. He falls over. He dies. And I remember seeing with the newscast who was saying like he was involved with something with drugs or a gang or any of those things so i'm just like okay so everybody's getting that narrative pushed in their head that he could have been involved with those things but i'm like okay so he's a 15 year old kid and i didn't want to point fingers at the community i had to look at myself and i had to be like where was i to be a mentor for him Mm -hmm. right because if i'm saying black lives matter doesn't he matter to me because he's a black life that could have been my cousin that -hmm. could have been my Mm -hmm. brother that could have been my son all that stuff like that shouldn't it matter right and 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 that's another thing that bothers me as well is that black people don't know their worth if we're saying black lives matter to whom does it matter because if you're very concerned about police killing us or somebody of another race killing us why can't we have that same energy when our own kills our own? Exactly, because yeah. that's one of the major arguments that that, that the opposing com, like or the white community has. Well, what about black on black crime? You don't seem to be as um, gung ho uh, taking people on, but we need to be advocating in our own communities and educating um, and promoting. Um, love for our own community and galvanizing people in the community to rebuild those communities that cause us to be in compromising situations, right? You know, oftentimes when we do encounter that, we have a school to prison pipeline. It's a major thing. Like, and, and kids uh, at 
I think studies probably as late as maybe two or three years ago don't have anybody graduating from the Toronto District School Board, uh, sorry, black boys graduating from the Toronto District School Board higher than 60%. Not one school. Not one school. Wow. Higher than 60%. And that it also adds to like, uh, if you go back to season one in my first episode where I interviewed it, she said this like the same close to the same lines how like black boys are treated in the system absolutely i can i can attest to that having a black son who has a learning exceptionality yeah they were quick to put him on an iep and if i didn't know how to advocate for him and ask what is the exit strategy for this young man because he can't stay on an iep so they keep them in these reduced classes teaching them at lower lower levels not giving them homework setting them up for failure by the time they get they get into classes where they have to integrate with everyone else they do not have the skills to keep up absolutely and ultimately they become disenchanted they already learn to become disenchanted because they can't keep up at the level at the other kids and also with that too to add to that there's also like and and the thing is with schools the schools are very set to be a cookie cutter system right right there's a quote that always says if you judge a fish it's by its ability to climb a tree it's always going to think it's stupid right and the thing is, there's a lot of ways that... That's a good it, one. Th- yeah. And it, it, there's a lot of ways that we learn. Like, I, for myself, because I was in that same similar situation where my mom had to do the same thing with me. My mom was like, no, you're a visual learner. You just, like, somebody can't just tell you what to do. They have to show you how to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting how she did all that advocation. She even had to, like, do some homeschooling at, at certain points for me to learn and understand and get up to speed. I even had to do summer school and stuff like that. And A lot of kids do. fast forward years later, I've gone to college and university. Yeah. Right? And now, like, fast forward now to what I'm doing now to my corporate job. I'm now, for those who don't know... I have now been promoted to a corporate position at my work and now I'm in a position where I'm actually teaching people and I now see it for myself. That it's entirely possible because the opportunities have been presented to yourself. Yeah. Uh, And and again, as I said, you know, the reason I brought those particular um, challenges up is simply because Black Lives Matter needs to go into communities and promote programs and things that are going to assist black lives, that show uh, people that education matters to black lives, that financial illiteracy matters to black lives. What are you doing in order to help put um, black lives in a better position, right? Instead of just focusing on tragedy. It's almost like, it's it's like talking about black history and only focusing on slavery, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about when we were kings so that people can have a good understanding of where we, what our real origin is, how, how we used to be, right? Instead Absolutely. of focusing on this, this one isolated block of history yep. when we're so much more complicated and complex and diverse, Absolutely. right? And I'm glad you brought up that point as well because here's a thing that especially in schools that they teach like in in canadian schools especially in the province of ontario when it comes to black history the first thing they start with is the underground railroad right and then they'll talk about the construction two battalion and then they'll talk about africville and that is it for canadian black history they will never talk about indigenous blacks they will never talk about 
uh, blacks that came here as explorers long before the beginning of slavery here when the when they'll the british talk came about Mansa, 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 they'll, they'll never talk, talk about, about that they'll never talk about these things and then also uh, with all the protesting that was happening last year and black people were saying like oh white people need to know our history i'm like excuse me black people you need to know your history and we're sitting here in north america thinking like oh well you know we we're going through this and we're going i'm like there's, I mean, part there's of so that much is, yeah part of that is our fault and the other part I mean, yeah obviously we're it's not learned True. But the, the the truth of it is, it's like it's our responsibility mm-hmm. to do the work. Right? Absolutely. And I think that if you're going to create an organization that tells us that our lives matter, yep. that's part of the work. Absolutely. Part of the work, not only just to get other people to recognize our community and our value, but to remind us of mm-hmm. what our value and our history and how we can take that history and take our current our present state and figure out how we can move forward and advance, how we can change our narratives, regardless of the tragedy, how do we change our narratives? And I think that that's one of the things that um, answered your question about why we are dangerous, because I don't actually think that we've come up with an exit strategy. Absolutely. If you get into a business, you've got it before you even start going up, think about what your extra strategy is. You get into a building, know where the exits are. When this thing gets on fire, something's happening, I need to know where the exit routes are. And that's the thing. We're in a cycle of society where Mm. the building is on fire and we don't know the exits. Yep, and we're all burning in it. So it leads into my next question because especially with fire, why was there backfire as of recently with this movement? And you, I know you have a lot to talk about because, like, first, let's talk about the scandal. And then the second, let's talk about this building that they purchased here in the city. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Dude, here, here comes the fire, everybody. Okay, so Patrice Coolers went under fire. Um, 37-year-old uh, co-founder of the one of the U.S. chapters. Um, she went under fire for some... Uh, miscellaneous purchases so some she bought some property had some i think there was even a rumor about some offshore accounts and so just some different things and so people are wondering where did all this um come from and so in light of some of these new uh, findings she recently stepped down so she resigned from the position and so that that also has kind of added to the mystery. You know, they tried to debunk some of the some of what was called rumors, but the reality of it is there are some purchases of home, some some things that she's been able to do financially that were not even close to being a possibility prior to starting this movement. And, and we want to know where she actually was able to um, secure some of those resources to do that. In addition to that, I think I I watched. I, I think I watched a video talking about the tracing of donations to Black Lives Matter. You actually don't see where any of the money goes. You don't um, you don't know any other organizations that have partnered with them that they are helping. You don't know any families that they have exploited and have financially sown into. So some of the people that, you know, when we talk about um, George Floyd and we talk about Trayvon Martin and Philando Castile, all the people that, that, that they've been mentioning that they have been advocating for none of those families have received any resources from all of the publicity that this organization has gained at at but at, um, at the mention of their their names so i want to know do their black lives matter yeah i, I was wondering because like i had 
long before this the scandal started coming up because I was like, okay, I know people that donated money. I donated money myself, and I'm like, okay, so what's going on? Like, I don't see it going anywhere. You're not showing where it's allocated anywhere. Like, it, it like a perfect example is like, okay, at our church, when we give money right we pay our tithes and offerings and or any additional donations i remember there was a time one week at church where pastor actually showed some slides of where the expenses were allocated to what's it doing all that stuff like that so how come for us we don't get that kind of progress report of where those expenses are being allocated to right and and it doesn't have a trace of where these funds are coming from also, another thing, too, is I noticed that a lot of these big corporations are putting money into it, but I'm like, so why couldn't these big corporations actually do something for these communities themselves than just donate, right? I didn't see anything from that because, like, you can go to a certain area in the city right now. I haven't seen a penny dropped in there, <laughs> right? Right, And I've seen the crime rate go up. Yes, exactly. At the yeah. beginning of the pandemic, shooting gun violence in toronto had been up 20 percent. yeah but we couldn't get any airtime because they were too busy talking about covid yeah no so and just to further to talk about you know she claims that her resignation was planned for over a year right uh, and it was not related to the fact that she had been accused of mismanaging money or using um uh, profits or uh, donations to secure her um, real estate portfolio, which mm -hmm. by the way is four homes. She wow. owns four homes. You can afford to own four homes when the people in your community are struggling. They don't even have some <laughs> right? of them so, don't even have a home to begin with. I'm not saying yeah. that, and I'm not yeah. I'm not mad at any any black female who's able to do that. Yeah, but that wasn't a possibility before you started this organization. And I would like to know mm -hmm. how these. Re I can't find out how these. Uh, resources are allocated additionally here in the in the in the six mm -hmm. black lives matter had a partnership with um um wild seed center mm -hmm. and they have received 250 uh, they will receive 250 sorry 250,000 okay uh, that was ridiculous a <laughs> 250,000 mm dollars -hmm. from the city yeah from the city wow to create this arts uh, activism center mm -hmm. okay uh, a 10,000 square foot art and activism center where black lives matter can continue to um, convene and in an interview i saw with one of the executives for wild seed um, that they when they were asked as to how they were able to secure the funds mm -hmm. she says from public and private donors to secure yeah. this space where they are going to promote creativity and a lot of forward movement and running programs. Um, and so when asked when they thought that that might start, they said they're hoping the end of the year, but they haven't run any outdoor programs. Yeah. They haven't, they haven't done anything like that prior to this. So I'm interested to see when they will organize that. Also, you know, they have another, um, they have another, a representative here, Yusra Kogali, yeah. and she, I think she's been under fire as well for being violent, you know, for violent verbiage, oh, you really? know, directing violent, hateful language towards um, 
white people specifically. Yeah. Um, so she's been under fire and been called out. You know, she's made some Twitter posts that she yeah. had later to to delete. Help yeah. me not to cuss, kill. Yeah. These, you know, and I'm just saying, you know, how in the world? And she, oh Allah, help me. So, I, and that's why I said the issue really is not about faith observers. It's about mm. a specific type of faith observers, mm. specifically Christian. So yeah. most, you know, you'll find they do advocate so they've been advocating for you know other muslim Mm -hmm. or you know so it's not that they have issues with faith they Mm -hmm. have issues with a particular absolutely type of faith so yeah i I would say it would probably be a link to satanism or just something on the bottom line that's that's there because if you specifically have to attack the christian faith then i think there's a bigger agenda that's at play and um, I have mentioned a lot um, in a few other episodes, like there are a lot of demonic, well, Jamaicans, we call it science, right? <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of demonic science that is at play or is being used to, or trickery to confuse a lot of people because that's the devil's plan is to use confusion right take a little bit of truth sprinkle a little bit of that and sprinkle with a little something else turn up your emotions all that stuff like that and then you don't realize you're just being set up for a trap what i mentioned before and the the other questions that we talked about i looked at everything like one i always i've seen it as a movement that it doesn't support black people right or it just picks at specific struggles about black people the second thing is it's um separating the family right because in order for us to reproduce we have to have family and right and which is what we talked about which before, we, which right? we so talk about before then you have the celebration of homosexuality now yeah. as a social worker you know yeah. my job is to is to make sure that i create spaces for mm-hmm. everyone yeah. equitable space for yes. so that we can create some uh equity yeah. right and equality yeah i i don't know like this yeah. it's, it's it's a difficult thing because yeah. as i said you know its major agenda mm-hmm. is to go against the biblical yeah. definition yeah. of what family is absolutely so if i had to you know i don't know if i would use the term satanism but it's definitely yeah. anti-christian i'm glad that we got to hash all of this out yeah and give people a perspective because like here on the podcast, what I always do is make sure that okay, we've unplugged, we unpacked everything. Now for them is to now take all the information, do the research for themselves, and now mm-hmm. start putting the work in. I'm always about advancement, but there's no progression if there's no effort put in. So thank you so much, Patricia, for coming on well, the show. Thank you, see, she she's talking about she was uh, she's a social worker and stuff like that. Let's let's not forget you're also a pastor now too. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to say it's Pastor Patricia Shirley. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Yes, and she's an amazing pastor. She's an amazing singer as well. Thank and you. we're gonna, I'm going to bring her back on and we're going to talk about her music ministry as well and talk about like her album release and all that stuff like that. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so, so much for having if me. There, is there a way that people can contact you? Yeah, I mean, uh, patriciashirley.com. 
PatriciaShirleySings.com. Don't say Patricia web- Shirley because you'll get somebody else. But yeah. <laughs> PatriciaShirleySings.com. She's got a website and everything. What yes. about Instagram? Yes. Um, Patricia Shirley Sings uh, also. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Do you have a YouTube or anything like that? Uh, yeah. Patricia Shirley is up there. All it's right. On so there. you got all the it's handles there. Go and check her out. And there. PS Sings on Facebook. So that's for Patricia. But what about me? Tell them. Drop it like a D'Angelo Valentine. So for those who are listening to the sound of my voice and you're listening to this podcast for the very first time it's called unplug u-n-p-l-g-d the only vowel is the u you can find me on spotify apple podcast any podcast platform that you listen to i know for you guys out in the caribbean that cannot get spotify there's other platforms out there that you can get access to me now if you want to take it a little bit further you want to see me in the youtube space follow me at a-F-T-R-D-R-K. That's spelled after dark. Af- it's applications, fundamental theory determines results and knowledge. That's where I talk about the all black lifestyle. I talk about fashion. I talk about mental health. I talk about beard stuff. Ooh. Everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The beard game. Mental the whole health. thing. The Come whole on. thing. Now, let's take it a step further. Now, if Come you want to know about me on Instagram, D.A-F-T-R-D-R-K. Right there on Instagram where you'll see everything that happens behind the scenes, all my stuff that happens on the stories, all my postings, all that stuff like that. What happens when I'm like casted for a role for acting, modeling, all that stuff like that. Okay. And also the little snippets that happen here. Don't hurt them. Don't <laughs> the <behind> hurt them. <laughs> all the, the snippets that happen behind here on the podcast. So thank you so much for listening. My name is D'Angelo Valentine. This is Unplugged. Peace.